Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another exclusive episode for premium members of the Yakking Show. So if you're watching this in our general audience, you want to get the whole show, you've got to become a premium member. First off, let me introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you also very much for tuning in. You know, we have interesting, interesting expert guests on this show, which we absolutely love. And today is absolutely no exception. We have the great privilege of welcoming back Dr. Michael Solomon. Dr. Michael Solomon is a professor of marketing and an expert on consumer behavior. He's also the author of the most widely read book on consumer behavior in the world entitled Buying, Having, and being. And if you haven't seen his initial interview, I would urge you to please go and watch that initial interview. I think you will find it incredibly interesting. And Peter, we will have that in uh, that link in the in the comment section. Is that right? Most definitely we will. Yep. Well, welcome, Michael. How are you today? Uh, Kathleen, thanks so much for having me on again. It's great to see you both. Well, now, Michael, you have a mantra. And the mantra is, we don't buy things because of what they do. We buy them because of what they mean. Can you please explain that to us? Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of the gets to the heart of everything that I that I do. You know, the reason I went into this crazy field is that I'm fascinated by the idea that everyday objects have incredible significance in our lives. You know, it's not just it's not just the hugely expensive uh, watch or sports car or something like that. Every everyday objects play a play a huge role in defining uh, to other people who we are, who we want to be, and also defining to ourselves. So, really, a lot of what we look at in consumer behavior is, is trying to understand what we call the deep meanings of brands. And uh, many of your listeners, you know, any, anyone who's trying to sell a product or service of, of any kind um, has a brand, or if you're an individual, you have your own mm-hmm. personal brand. And, you know, I think the mistake that many companies make is they focus on the functionality um, rather than on the symbolic or emotional meaning of some of these products. And, you know, the reality is, uh, fortunately, in in many cases, certainly not all, but in many cases today, the likelihood is that most of the options you're looking at are probably going to work reasonably well. Uh, what differentiates one from the rest of the herd, I think, is the story behind it. And if you look at just about any brand uh, category, and certainly in the B two C or business to consumer space, but B two B as well, uh, you'll see that the brands that are the most successful are not the ones that just work well. Now they all have to work, of course. But they go the extra yard because they're supplying you not only with functionality, but they're they're filling in part of the story of, of your life. And so uh, when I say that people don't buy things because of what they mean, I'm excuse me, because of what they do, they buy them because of what they mean. Uh, I, I mean that literally uh, in that we're uh, each of us is actively choosing brands, products, services, companies, ideas that become a part of of who we are and how we present ourselves to others. So it's an incredibly important um, issue. And I can tell you after 40 years of teaching MBAs and other marketing executives and so on, many of them just uh, don't seem to get it because they want to focus on that technical differentiator uh, rather than also thinking about what does your product or service 
actually mean to the people who consume it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's, that's, that is so true, isn't it? So just an extension of that one. Mm-hmm. How well does brand loyalty transfer from generations from father to son, mother to daughter? Because I, I know of, of friends, for instance, who would buy a Ford pickup because their father had one and they grew up all their life with a Ford pickup and the family b- drove Ford pickups. Um, <clears throat> so that, that seems to me to, to be stronger than anything Ford is going to do right now. Right. Uh, to, to... Probably, probably, you know, if, if there's some kind of an emotional attachment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which, which often can be uh, nostalgia, right. Remembering yeah. riding in your grandfather in the, in the old Ford truck or something like that. Uh, the only exception would be, ironically, can also just be out of habit because for, yes. for someone who's not very interested in the category, they're going to look for what we call heuristics or shortcuts to mm-hmm. make the process a little less painful. And so, sure. uh, one of the one, one of those uh, we call it a rule of thumb. You know, a rule of thumb is buy what my parents bought, and and you'll see this, for example, with college students. Uh, you know, I see this a lot when they're when they're living on their own for the first time and they're setting up an apartment, God knows what that's going to look like. But um, if you go into the pantry, you know, my guess is often you'll find the same basic brands, you know, the sugar and the flour and so on that was in their houses when they, when they grew up. So that's, that's often a start. Now that doesn't mean that Ford or one of these companies has a lock on you for life. Uh, The challenge is to understand the emotional story that Ford, for example, is telling. Sure. Um, and perhaps tell another one that's per, uh, more compelling in some way. Mm-hmm. But, sure. but sure. understanding that there is a story, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, Sorry, so Michael, how, how do, from a company standpoint, how would they go about attributing meaning to their product? Well, there. <laughs> Uh, that's a, if you, if you've got a few hours, I can can (laughs) give you some answers. You know, I talk about this in my course on customer engagement. That's about six hours. Um, there are many ways to do it. You know, the important thing is to recognize that you need to do it. And that's the first step that many companies haven't taken yet. Um, but I like to think about it in terms of the, the very simple and and basic uh, model of engagement that that advertisers have used for decades, uh, and that's called the AIDA model, Mm -hmm. A-I-D-A, which means awareness, interest, desire, and action. And it's it's just a simple reminder, and it's good for your audience maybe just to put, you know, make a little sketch of that. Uh, uh, You you, you don't sell a product immediately. When someone learns of the product, they usually, they're not going to learn of your product and immediately buy it in most cases. They're going to go through a process where they're going they're going to become uh, hopefully more and more engaged with with different aspects of their of their minds. You know, at first, it's just going to be simple novelty. Let's say, oh, that looks different. I wonder what that is. But Mm -hmm. but if when you get to the to the point of purchase, it's often after a uh, what can be a fairly lengthy process of, you know, multiple touches with the customer. Five to seven is often a, a rule of thumb before they're going to buy anything. They have to become more invested in, in what you're doing. So again, it can't be just functionality. It has to be a story and it has to be a story 
that resonates with something that's going on in their lives. And I have a lot of different examples of that. I even have a little audit on my website that people can download uh, different different routes to engagement. And if you look at successful companies, you know, the usual suspect suspects like Starbucks and Lululemon and Nike and, and Apple and so on, uh, each of those is taking a certain route to engagement at what mm -hmm. we call resonance, where the brand really becomes a part of who you are. So it's understanding what aspect of that person uh, perhaps you you might meth, mesh with. Uh, so, for example, uh, I've done some work with CrossFit. You may be familiar with all those. Believe me, I didn't do CrossFit, as you can tell. Uh, uh, but, you know, all the, the these guys, these men and women who are who are into this and and, um, you know, the functionality there, I guess, is putting on big muscles. Right. But mm -hmm. but the fact is that CrossFit is more like a uh, sense of of community, a sense of family where the members encourage one another, et cetera. That's the basis of the CrossFit brand. So oh. just as an example, you know, if you're trying to sell weightlifting equipment, you need to sell more than just how many pounds the barbell is. You need to sell the experience that people are going to have in perhaps altering their lives by losing weight or gaining muscle or doing all the other things we can do with products. So just picking up on that one, um, Apple, one that comes to mind, they managed to get the desire to the desire stage very quickly, very often before the new iPhone is even on the market, right? You've got people wanting it before the thing is launched, before they know what it's going to cost. So so they've, they're really experts on that one. So, Michael, talk about your course a little more, your Engage course. Uh, I know we've both had a good look at it. And... Uh, it's. Uh, I think you've got it in uh, six modules. Is that correct? Do you want to walk our audience through your yeah. course? Well, sure. Yeah. It's um, as I said. It's a. It's about six hours of content. But uh, basically, what I'm doing is taking about 50 years of research on consumer behavior, uh, both academic research and also, um, you know, some uh, proprietary research, and and applying that to all of the different ways that we can try to ramp up engagement. And, and again, mm -hmm. the actual course, the framework I use is that very basic AIDA model. Um, and what I do is I, I walk the learner through the course. We start at the most superficial level of awareness, which is very important. No one's going to buy your product if they're not aware of oh. it, uh, but they're also not going to buy your product just because they're aware of it. And so sure. as we make our way through the model, what I do is to show how uh, along different dimensions, there are a variety of strategies and tactics that we can use that have been have been demonstrated to work. Uh, many of them have, have been buried in the pages of journals for many years, but uh, we know a lot about how people respond to offers and how they how they learn about brands, how they make decisions, the incredible impact of other people and of our and of the culture that you live in etc there are many 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 different factors uh that that uh, impact this uh you know i teach at the undergrad and graduate levels i teach an entire semester course on consumer behavior so we don't quite go into that detail but uh what i tried to do is to take out the what does it matter to me uh, questions and focus on those. So it's uh, mm -hmm. it's not like a long theoretical lecture by a professor. Don't panic. Uh, there's there is a little bit of background, but it's all with an eye toward well, how can I apply this on Monday morning? 
And so by the time we reach the end of the course, uh, hopefully we have created what I like to call brand fanatics, uh, you know, people who are absolutely bonkers about a brand, again, not just because it does what it's supposed to do, that's a good thing, but because it plays an important role in telling us something about ourselves and how we express our identities in society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here's one that, that, again, occurred to me while you were talking. There's several product categories where the buyer is not necessarily the consumer. The one that immediately comes to mind is men's underwear. And I read somewhere that something like 60% of adult men's underwear is bought by their female partners, spouse, girlfriend, or whatever. That may or may not be correct, but a significant amount, and I know from several of my mates that uh, they don't even know what brand of, of underwear they're getting because their wife sorts it out. <laughs> so, no, seriously. So, so now we have we have yet another dimension to consider in marketing, and, and this applies very often to B2B marketing, where the decision maker and the buyer is not the consumer. So you not only have to motivate the consumer but or the wearer, in the case of underwear, you've got to motivate the person who's spending the money to buy it, right? So yeah. how do you address that one? Well, you know, I, it's amazing that you that you mentioned that question because uh, I've actually back in the quite some time ago I did a, a lot of writing on on that topic uh, because it's it, it's incredibly important uh, to understand that in in so many decision situations, as you say, the end consumer is not really weighing the options the way mm-hmm. we we think of when you go to a store and you look at the options and. So I, I I actually published an article in let's see 1987 I think it was uh, on what I call the surrogate consumer. Okay, yeah. Surrogate consumer is someone who makes decisions on behalf of someone else. Now, when you think about it, that covers you mentioned B two B, you know, but um, but B two C as well. So mm-hmm. you know anything from well, obviously, let's say a physician who is making you know, is deciding what drugs you're, the patient's going to, going to take or the nurse. Uh, But you've, but expand that to, to other uh, areas and you'll see it's more common than you think. Stockbrokers, real estate agents, stylists, fashion stylists. Um, I used to do a lot of work with uh, professional wardrobe consultants. Uh, That was a big thing. (laughs) And, and again, the, and that's purely B2C, you know, these are, People yeah. who who pay someone else to to come into their closet and literally, you know, strip out their closet and redo it and 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 I love that example because it shows you that these are usually quite important decisions that we're delegating. Mm-hmm. You know, your stockbroker is responsible for your retirement. You know, but you say, okay, yeah. you know, you're you're the expert. I will defer to you. And and yet, so few marketers have figured this out and and have identified those intermediaries in the channel that I call surrogates and target messages to them in addition to, or even rather than the end consumer, because typically the end consumer is going to, you know, uh, the, the job of that intermediary is, is to be a curator, which is tremendously important today. That's what influencers do, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Their job is to take our, what I, I tell my students that one of the biggest problems we face in, in a Western society today, ironically, is not that we don't have enough choices. It's that we have too many choices. Mm-hmm. People are overwhelmed yeah. with all those choices. And so anyone who is who has the ability 
to narrow them down and curate them and say to you, well, there's a thousand that I looked at, but here's the five that I think are best for you. That is where there's value added in the channel. And so sure. these surrogates are, you're, Peter, are absolutely, you know, not only very important, but a lot of people don't think about them. So I'm really delighted you you raised that question. All right. the, sorry, Kathleen, I'm going to just kind of carry on on this one. There's another angle to this as well. I don't know what you would call them. And that's particularly with stuff that's consumed by children that the parents pay for. But very often the children will influence them. So take breakfast cereals. You, you could have a breakfast cereal manufacturer that promotes how healthy the food is for the child. Uh, it's got all the vitamins. It's got this. It's got that. It's right. not going to give them tooth decay. Uh, but the kids likes it because it tastes good or it has a, a toy mm -hmm. in it or, or whatever. So you know, right. they could be promoting it to the parent, but the decisions made by the child for totally different reasons. Right? So there's another angle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, again, both B2B, it, it's been more widely studied in B2B, but yeah. you know, where you have what's called a buying center and a buying center mm -hmm. is not a physical location. It's the group of people who are entrusted to make big decisions, you know, replacing the computer system or something like that. Now, when you dig into that, you realize that people in a buying center, and this is true for families as well, play different roles. You know, so one of the roles is called the gatekeeper, and that's the person mm -hmm. who who narrows down that information we were talking about. But there are influencers and deciders, you know, and and so it could be. And I, I learned very early on in, in business uh, that the most important person to to get to know and to get on the good side of is the secretary to the CEO. Yeah, because they usually run the business, right? Uh, and so they are the gatekeeper. A lot of people don't understand that, and will just try to barrel over those people because they think they're not part of the decision, and they're very, very wrong. Oh and yes, you, and you, you know, make do the same thing in families. You've got, you know, you, you mentioned breakfast cereals. Uh, let's say you're in the travel business. I mean, an incredible amount of travel decisions are made by the children. Yes. Not, not by the so if you're only targeting the adults, you're missing out on the the main influencer. That's right, and I, I'm glad you brought up secretaries because I'm old enough to remember when secretaries were true gatekeepers, and and I know that if you tried to ride over the secretary, not only did you risk not getting to the CEO, but you risk when you did get to him, the secretary was coming in after you and putting in a bad word about how rude you were. <laughs> you didn't follow the rule. Oh, yeah. I've seen that happen a few times. So, yeah, very important. Kathleen, back to you. Well, uh, Michael, you already talked a little bit about the ADA model. So we're looking at awareness, interest, desire, and action. But I was wondering if maybe you could take us, I know you have a whole course on this, but perhaps you can give us uh, you know, a little bit of an abbreviated version of each of those uh, for us and some examples. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I guess I can do that. So uh, so let's start with awareness. What what does it take to make someone become aware of you? You know, now, if you you know think about we're coming up here in the States on, you know, on a political season again, mm -hmm. one just ended. Um, you know, if you're a new candidate, if you're running for office and no one uh, knows you, what's the most important thing strategically is just to build name recognition, right. just to get people to to become aware. Oh, I've seen that name on bumper stickers. Now, you may not know what that person stands for, but at least now they're they're kind of an entrant into the race, if, if you will. Um, and so how how can you at that very basic level, what do you do to get noticed? And here we can, uh, for example, focus on some of the very basic perceptual 
processes, the way our brains work to help us to distinguish some things from others using our senses, obviously our visual sense. But uh, one very important thing is to remember that the visual channel is very, very crowded. Everybody thinks they're going to send their message visually, you know, with a clever ad or a, a beautiful presenter, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and so uh, I, in the course, I do spend some time talking about what we call sensory marketing, which means we using, in addition to vision, using the other senses to break through that clutter. Uh, for example, uh, smells and, and textures and, and so on uh, that, that help to give your brand, even at this basic level, a unique identity. And you, you see a number of brands ranging from uh, from a lot of hotels, for example, will will have a signature scent. So no matter where you are in the world, if you're in X hotel, there will be part of that brand that is olfactory. And that is intended to remind you of where you are. So uh, again, at that basic level, um, I'm, I'm just picking, I'm kind of cherry picking a few examples. There are sure. other things to talk about as well. But at that beginning level, you know, uh, understanding how our brains function just to uh, what are some of the simple tricks we can do to make ourselves stand out in a crowded field that that's essential, especially when you when you realize that uh, and maybe I'm giving away the answer because I think I asked this in, in the course. But, you know, when when we think about how many commercial messages we're exposed to in a single day, mm -hmm. uh, the answer is close to five thousand mm -hmm. and People will say, there's no way I've been in front of 5,000 messages in the end. Well, maybe you haven't, but you probably have. It's just that you didn't notice sure. 950 of them. So already those 4,950 messages are lost. Money is wasted. So again, at that basic level, you know, getting yourself uh, noticed in some way, uh, you know, and then when you, when you get to interest, um, how do you get people interested in something? Well, Let's see. Uh, the the basic the basic determination we always make when we buy something is how much risk will be involved in buying this. There's always a risk associated with trying something new. As anybody who's tried to you know move a customer from one brand to theirs understands, we we have a lot of built-in re resistance there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so um, you know anything that you can do to reduce. Risk it may be it might be financial risk it may be social risk like will people laugh at me if I wear this you know so assuring assuring people that the risk is far outweighed by the potential um, rewards of, of buying that product um, and you know you can build interest in, in a lot of ways in terms of, of your messaging of, of course so you know one of the things I recommend in the course is, is to focus on what we call spectacles or guerrilla marketing, uh, mm -hmm. getting attention by doing something unexpected. Um, and, uh, you know, that's actually an extension of the awareness stage where you have to do something unexpected with your colors and your sounds and so on. But here you're doing maybe something unexpected behaviorally. You're doing a little, uh, you know, if you know what guerrilla marketing is, it means to surprise people. It doesn't mean monkeys. It means the other kind like guerrilla warfare uh, surprising people where they're not expecting you. And so doing mm -hmm. some kind of, uh, you know, having having street art on the sidewalk that that has your logo on it or uh, posters in public bathrooms and things like that. You know, there are many, many ways to to do that. But you got to do something to jolt people out of their 
every day because the thing is that we become so, you know, first of all, we're looking at our phones constantly, mm-hmm. um, you know, at least my students are. Um, and so we need jolts to just get us out of our reverie and look up and say, oh, that's interesting. That's different. I, I want to know more about that. You know, that that just makes me curious. People want to be entertained. They want to learn things. And so that's one way that you can uh, that you can create interest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, desire, you know, that's where it starts to get interesting, because now you're starting to say that your brand I desire it because it's something that I need or really want to to tell a part of my life story. I'm working on some aspect of my life and all of our lives are a work in progress. Right. So we want to be a better spouse. We want to be a better employee, uh, a better tennis player, whatever it is. And so to the extent that you can show the customer that your product is going to help them to achieve a goal that is central to them. Uh, that can be very, very powerful. And and sometimes that means, for example, one of the things I talk about in the course, which which isn't as obvious, I think, to most people, is linking your brand story to cultural events, to things, mm-hmm. important things that are going on in, in the culture. Uh, one obvious example is holidays, you know, like Christmas or Valentine's Day. And I don't have to tell you or your listeners, that's that's something that many marketers will latch on to and for good reason. Uh, but sometimes we we can heighten desire by by taking a product that doesn't have that desire attached to it and linking it to something else, whether we, you know, a holiday or or a, a myth like, say, St. Valentine, you know, what did St. Valentine do? Uh, or sometimes we can be creative and invent an occasion. So I love to tell my students about Sanco de Mayo. You know, they get all excited mm-hmm. about Sanco de Mayo because it's an excuse to go out and drink a lot of tequila. <laughs> uh, but when I ask them, well, do you know what, why we're celebrating it? You know, usually they say, well, it was the day that Mexico got its independence or something like that. And uh, I don't know if you know the answer. You've just watched for free the first 20 minutes of a one hour premium episode for our premium members. If you want to watch the rest of this episode and all our future premium episodes, click on the link in the description to sign up as a premium member.